0: Uh, we're really glad to be back. We were here, I think, two years ago, and uh, I must say that I'm really happy to see so many of, of us this morning, and so it's a blessing always to come into the house of the Lord. So how this sermon came about. Um, one morning, I was uh, doing my devotional, and I was reading the story of, of um, Joseph, and below the bo- my Bible, it had a commentary in terms of how uh, joseph 's clothing played an important part an important role in in his life. You remember the story, right? His brothers, uh, through their jealousy, and so what happened to him, and even when he went to Egypt, clothing got in trouble uh, got him in trouble again and so that gave me an inspiration for the sermon. And um, Jesus understands this as well, the importance of clothing. Um, he spoke about this in Matthew where he talks about, you know, not worry about what we wear or what we eat. And so the Bible is actually full of mention of, of clothing or garments, both physical and spiritual. And so I'd like to share with you some insights that I have gathered as I was studying. So the title of the sermon is Essential Clothing. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, This is your time, Lord, to speak to your people, and so I just ask, Lord, that you will speak through me, not my words, but your words, Lord, and that you will give us understanding. Help us to have a receptive mind and hearts to receive your message, I pray in Jesus' name. There you go. How many of you have seen this picture or are familiar with this one? Yeah, everybody, right? It's the sound of music. Um... Did you know, or could someone guess how much it costs in an auction or how, how much money someone paid for that pin of four? I'm so, sorry? 500,000? Anybody would like to have another guess? Okay, would you pay $2 million for that code? No. Well, let's see. It did sold sell for $156 million. All right. Well, could you just imagine how many people could have been fed with that money? Or how many children could have gone to school, especially in uh, low-income countries? But obviously, someone valued that much. Anyway, I want to give you a little bit more statistics about the clothing industry. It It is big business. 1.2 trillion dollars in this global industry. That's a lot of zeros after the one. And 250 billion alone is spent in the United States. Now, one good thing about this industry is that it employs about 1.9 million people in the U.S. alone. So there's a positive thing about uh, the clothing industry. But, there is also an ugly side to this industry. I don't know if you've heard about this Rana disaster in Bangladesh. You know, in this industry, people are paid low-wage, unsafe working condition, especially, as I said, in, in countries like Bangladesh, Thailand, and China. And this particular one, it's called the Rana Plaza disaster, or co- where 1,000, over 1,000 people died because, you mean... <laughs> may not show here, but they put an extra uh, level, yes, Uh, when in fact it's not designed to have six levels, but because they needed more workers, so they put another one. And so the building actually started cracking, and so people were sent home. And then they patched it, and they brought the people back, and that's when it actually collapsed, and the people died. So it was a tragedy. Um, What's interesting, we were watching a CBC documentary about this, and some of the clothes that we actually bought from the stores were made in this facility. Now as I was contemplating that tragedy and the sacrifices that these people did so that we can have accessible and uh, affordable clothes here in North America, I was reminded of someone who a long time ago also sacrificed his son so that we could be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So I say praise the Lord for that. Do you? Now Sorry, I should be pointing to you, right? Yeah, not there. Okay, so as I said, uh, the Bible is full of mention of clothing. And uh, I don't expect you to remember two years ago that I also mentioned about the fig. um, But here is the first mention of clothing. Um, You remember the story when Adam and Eve first sinned. They tried to cover their nakedness by uh, sowing fig leaves. But God, in his wisdom, he knows that You know, it's not good enough. And so God provided a garment out of animal skin, right? He had to kill an animal. And that symbolized the righteousness, again, of Christ that is imputed to us. The other story in the Old Testament is this uh, Achan. Are you familiar with the story in Joshua? They were specifically told not to uh, take any spoils from Jericho, but what did Achan do? He coveted and stole a beautiful Babylonian garment among the spoils of Jericho. Now, we know the story. His covetousness led to the defeat of Israelite when they attack a smaller um, city, I right? And so what's interesting here, you notice it's Babylon garment. Is it coincident? I don't think so. I don't believe so. As, the, as, the, as in the Bible, we know that. Babylon symbolize thing that is the exact opposite of God's kingdom. And so the spiritual lesson for us here is that in addition to obedience, I'd like to submit that you know when we covet, when we desire or get fascinated with the Babylonian garments, things that represent the world, that it doesn't only lead to our ruin, but also it could lead to others' ruin, right? And so I'd like to show another example here of, of a mention of clothing in the, in the New Testament. And this one, uh, you're familiar again with the story when uh, Jesus was entering Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. He sent two of his disciples to uh, fetch the, the, the donkey in a colt, and they found it exactly where Jesus said they would find it. And what did they do? Took up their clothes, their robes, put it on the donkey. <coughs> And the people did the same thing when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And so the, the, the message there is, it is an act of homage to off their garments, right? And so the question for us is, are we willing, just like the disciples and the people, are we willing to lay all and sacrifice all our cherished garments at Jesus' feet to honor him? the Bible is full of mention of clothing. This is another one. I'm not going to talk about this, but John the Baptist with his camel's hair and belt, a leather belt, and also the women in, in Babylon, the two women in Babylon. So we can spend the whole morning talking about that, but I just encourage you, this afternoon or sometime this week, look up some things, uh, garments or something of interest to you and see what spiritual lessons you can gather from there. Now, Let's move on. Um, well, this is kind of cruel to bring it up in the summertime. But anyway, the, the main point of this is that uh, clothing has an uh, important function, right? It is for our protection and for our comfort. And as Canadians, I don't need to tell you that you need a warm jacket in the winter time. Now, um, another way that clothing protects is when someone wears a uniform, like a red cross or a UN uniform, it's, it's a protection from them. In, in the war zones, the idea is they will, they will not be attacked because they're supposed to be neutral people, right? Um, just as how physical uniform protects us, we too as Christians need to put on this uniform, and we will talk a little bit more about that, the armor of God. Now, on the other hand, this could work the other way, Right? Military people who who wear military uniforms are easy targets for the the opposing armies. And as I said earlier, Joseph was was attacked by his brothers because of of what he was wearing, because of envy. And so as Christians, when we put on something, and we will talk about that, we become an easy, uh, not an easy, but a target of the enemy. You hear about the persecutions happening in Syria, in Egypt, Christians. Now, another function of of clothing is that it represents who we are and whose we are, right? The Bible tells us that those who overcome will be clothed in in white, representing purity of character and victory over sin. In Revelation 3, 5, he reads, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Let me pause again. See, I'm not the only one battling something. <laughs> now, the Bible talks about two crucial clothing or attire that we need to put on. And the first one is, we read it in Ephesians six fourteen and 17. And I projected it there. It says, stand therefore having girded your ways with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace (coughs) above all taking the shield of faith with which you will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so as you may notice this is a six-piece attire and every piece is essential waist girded with truth, or belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and sword of the spirit. And we're gonna go quickly through this. Belt of truth, the first one. Notice that truth is the first thing that we are to put on. In our Sabbath school today, we talked about false teachers and false teachings. It makes sense, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just like how the belt holds the sword and other weapons, Jesus, the truth, is our foundation. We must put on Jesus first, otherwise all our defenses will crumble. We need to be grounded in truth, which is Jesus, otherwise we will be carried away with all the winds of doctrine, as Paul mentions in Ephesians. And and as I said earlier, we talked about the many false doctrines out there. And uh, fake news, those of you who are in social media, not everything that you see in social media is true. And what does Donald uh, Trump refer to this? Fake news or alternative truth. Isn't that interesting? Alternative truth. Okay. Truth is our defense against, against false doctrines, deceptions, and lies of Satan, which will become more and more prevalent as we approach the end of time. And this deception is so great that what does uh, Jesus warn us in Matthew 24? That if it's possible, even the very elect could be deceived. So Paul counsels us to put on the belt of truth, which is Jesus, who is our defense. Am I going backwards? Breastplate of righteousness. So in the midst of this corrupt world, as Christians, we are told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, however, it is important for us to remember that righteousness or doing the right things is not from our own strength, but from God. And we are to do good works not because we want to gain entrance into the kingdom. We all know that. It's not that. It is because we are saved and that's why we need to do the good works that God is calling us to do. In Matthew 5, 16, we are told to let our light shine that others may see our good works. Not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Now... Um, feet shod—it's not something uh, word that we use these days. But I, so I had to look up what it means, actually. So shod means protected with the gospel of peace. So in this time of uncertainty, we are told to put on the shoes of the gospel of, which is the goodness—the goodness of peace. Now, here's an alarming statistics: mental illness. It <laughs> is the leading cause of disability in Canada and pretty much the whole world. In any given year, one in five Canadians will experience a mental health or addiction problem. And by the time Canadians reach 40, year, uh, 40 years old, one in two would have or have had mental illness. And mental illness can cut 10 to 20 years from a person's life's expectancy. And here's Sobering statistic: Four thousand Canadians die by suicide each year. That is an average of eleven a day. As Christians, we are not only to have peace in our lives, but we are also called to bring peace to others. Represented by the shoes, the readiness to go. In John fourteen twenty-seven, Jesus promises us to leave, uh, to leave us with peace—not just any peace, but His peace. Now, I really like this quote. It says, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Jesus. Without Christ, we will never have true peace. But in John sixteen three, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And with that promise, we can have real peace and comfort. Shield of faith. Above all, we are told to take the shield of faith. It is how we quench the fiery darts of the evil one. The Roman shield was called a scutum, all right? So it is, it is as large as a door and would cover the, the warrior entirely. So it is not just a defensive uh, weapon, uh, sorry, a defensive instrument, but also offensive. It's something that you can push your, your enemy with. It's all often made of wood, and it's covered with animal hide. So when wet, when the fiery darts, you know, back then, that's how they fight, right? Through arrows with, with fire, and, and it would quench those fire. Now, it's also helpful to protect those from the walls that they threw those fire arrows. Now, what's interesting is that when, um, when soldiers, they could come together and form th- this uh, testudo formation, which is called uh, tortoise per- formation, like a It it would be their shield, so they're protected there. Now faith is our defense against the fiery arrows arrows of temptations, of discouragement, of doubt and fear that Satan throws at us. And it is our protection against the schemes of the evil one. Faith is how we overcome the world. We read that in 1 John 5.14. Now, helmet of salvation. Helmet is vital for our survival. It protects the head and the brain, which is the center, the control center of our body. So we know that if the brain and the head is damaged, the rest of the, the armor is of no use because this control is, is gone. So we need to protect our mind because this is where and how God communicates with us. And that's why it is the prime target of the enemy. The helmet of salvation is our assurance that we are saved. And to keep that helmet buckled up, we need to keep in mind the words of Philippians 4 8. You're very familiar with it. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is, sorry, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything, think of these things. So the sixth one is, which is the last of the, the armor, Paul tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And the sword is both an offensive and defensive instrument. And we need to be trained on how to use it in order for us to effectively use it, right? And in 2 Timothy 2.15, We are told to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are admonished to be diligent. Now, I looked up the word diligent and what it means. It says to be consistent, to be disciplined, and to be consensuous in the study of the word of God. So it's not only whenever it's convenient that we spend time in the word of God, but we need to make time in the study of the word of God. So Paul continues on and says, After we have put on the armor of God, he admonished us to pray always, to be watchful, and to persevere. And we need to pray always because our strength is in the Lord. We need to, watch, to be watchful because our enemy is sneaky. Paul warns us about the wiles, the devious cunning of the evil one. And we need to persevere because Jesus tells us that those who endure till the end will be, will be saved. And so we need the armor of God. Because this is a powerful uh, quote from the uh, Spirit of Prophecy. It says, From the days of Adam to our own time, our great enemy has been exercising his powers to oppress and destroy, and he is now preparing for his last campaign against the church. All who seek to follow Jesus will be brought into conflict with this relentless foe. And the more nearly the Christian imitates the divine pattern, the more surely will he make himself a mark of a mark for the attacks of Satan. And so we need to put on the armor of God because we are targets of Satan's attacks. And his attacks intensifies as we near the close of time. And he is a relentless foe, meaning that he is consistent, he is persistent, he is unrelenting. And so we are told to persevere because if we don't give up, we will overcome. Now, Let me go back there. So this is now the second um, most important clothing that we are told to put on. In Colossians, we read, and our scripture reader have, has read that uh, quite beautifully. It says we need to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. For, be, we are to be forgiving. We need to love peace and be thankful now if you were to go to a store this might look like this now these characteristics are really the fruit of the spirit right which we read in galatians 5:22 to 23 in other words it is the presence of the holy spirit in our lives it says All right, there we go. Now, again, I don't expect you to remember this, but in the p- past quarter we studied the Holy Spirit, right? And we, spoke about the, we studied about the fruit of the Spirit. And it said there that um, the, the fruit of the Spirit is the true essence of a Christian's life. In other words, if the fruit of the Spirit is not reflected in us, then we are not true Christians, right? Let me, let me illustrate that. I like banana bread. Who likes banana bread? Yeah. Okay. Um, So those of you who know how to cook banana bread, you know what's the essential ingredient in banana bread? Banana. Banana. That's right. So if you were to make a banana bread, and you run out of banana, and you decide not to have banana in the banana bread, you can call it the banana bread. But would it taste banana bread? No. It's the same thing here. In the same way, we can claim to be Christians, but if the fruit of the Spirit is not reflected in us, we're not banana bread, right? Now I'd like to give you another illustration. Oh, yeah. This is just to whet your appetite as we get closer to our lunch. Here is another illustration, and I'd like to thank my wife for for sharing this illustration. See, is that real or fake fruit? Can you tell? Okay, good. That's interesting. So my my wife tells me, Arlene uh, told me a story when her grandmother one time visited um, her mom's place. And apparently uh, when when her grandmother uh, went home, she was, um, let's put it this way, she wasn't so happy with her daughter because apparently... She wasn't offered the grapes that were hanging and and the fruits that were on the table. Remember, this is in the Philippines. And we don't grow, well, we grow apples in the Philippines, but it's so far and so expensive that you don't see that on the table, okay? And the the, the grapes don't hang on the walls. Um, But she's an elderly uh, person, and and she thought those fruits were real. And so she was really hurt that uh, her daughter did not offer her those fruits. So... In the same way, we may lead people to think that we are Christians, but as they get close to us, and if it turns out that we do not have the fruit of the Spirit, I I don't like to say that, but if we are fake Christians, it will disappoint them. It will hurt them, and it will also misrepresent God. Now, I also like to point out that it is one fruit Paul refers to it as the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. So this is a singular uh, thing, right? Um, For example, we can't say that we have the fruit of the Spirit when we are patient, yet we are proud. Or we are peaceful, yet we are unkind, right? So someone made this statement. So I'm not synchronizing with my pictures here. It says a consistent life characterizes by meekness of Christ is a power in the world. And there is another powerful quote. Oh, let me go back. just want to make sure. It says that um, a consistent life. Yes, I already read that. That's right. Now, the thing is, we need to wear this clothing. This is not the type of clothing that you put on and you we put on and we put off, right? Um, and this is this, uh, these are the essential clothing in our wardrobe, so, so to say. Now, to close off, I'd like to bring this quote It says, Christ is waiting with long desire for the manifestations of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. This is something that we look forward to, the second coming of Christ. And so the promise there is when that character is represented in us, then Christ can come or will come. And so the challenge for us this morning is that we will invite the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts so that we will bear those fruits of the Spirit. And when our character is reflected, The character of Christ is reflected in us Then we are ready to be Going home with him in heaven So that's my prayer for us today